folks, and welcome to the SCV Leadership and Business Solutions and our weekly podcast. I'm Paul Raggio. And I am Lisa Raggio, and we are here today, tomorrow, and in the future to help you find your way um, to best leadership and business practices. And we're very happy to be partnering with The Signal to be bringing you a weekly podcast where we interview a community leader. And this week we are interviewing Paul Butler and Paul Butler is the owner of New Leaf Training and Development. And we're excited to learn from him um, specifically in regards to time management, but I know he's gonna have a wealth of other information to provide as well. And you know, I get a lot of questions about our name, One True North. So I, I in this podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and how we arrived at it. So One True North is also called the Geodetic North, and it's the direction along the Earth's surface towards the geographic North Pole or True North Pole. And it differs from Magnetic North and Grid North in that the direction northwards along this uh, grid lines of the map and the way it's projected. So on maps published by the Geological Survey, True North, and there is only one True North, is marked with a line terminating in a five-pointed star. You'll see that on our logo, otherwise known as the North Star. And at One True North, Inc., Leadership and Business Coaching Solutions, we offer leaders a comprehensive method for identifying their One True North line that terminates at their North Star. And that's really their why and their purpose to be do and have. So that's a little tidbit about us and what our logo means. Uh, as part of our podcast, we give you uh, leadership and best business practices for the week. And the title of this one is Resist or Embrace. It's all about change. And that's the question. And we're looking forward to engaging Paul Butler on that subject, too. Excellent. So I'm going to share with you Paul Butler's bio, and then we're going to get into that conversation and learn. Paul jointly owns New Leaf Training and Development, a staff training and leadership company headquartered in Valencia with a second office in Orlando, Florida. Prior to starting New Leaf in 2006, he previously served in senior leadership positions with Hilton and Marriott Hotels in Europe as well as North America. Originally from England, Paul is a member of the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants and the Chartered Global Management Accountants. Married since 1994, Paul and his wife Gaynor have two adult children, Brody and Henry. And with that, we welcome Paul. And uh, we always start with why Paul Raggio and I, my brother and business partner, so we'd love to hear from you to kick it off. Uh, what is your why and why did you create New Leaf Training and Development? Uh, well, first of all, Paul and Lisa, I'm delighted to be joining you today. Um, I like to think I'm always a, I've always been a teacher at heart. My mother was a high school teacher. And uh, what I realized in the role of finance, for example, with uh, both Hilton and Marriott, and, and prior to that, when I came out of university with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, was I realized very quickly that once I could trust someone on their bookkeeping, I found that my role was primarily about teaching and training and educating. And so we came here for two years just after 9-11, which seems like a lifetime ago now. And I came over as the finance director for Hilton Honors, Hilton's um, 
loyalty program. This was when Hilton's worldwide headquarters was in Beverly Hills. And uh, we were here just for two years on a work visa, a H-1B. And then my wife and I went back to England in 2003 and we said, gosh, you know, on the basis you've only got one life on this earth, why not be where you want to be, do what you want to be doing with who you want to be doing it with. And so that's why we decided to start up New Leaf Training and Development. I always massively admired really good quality, purposeful, principle-based uh, staff training and leadership development. And so many people say to me, gosh, you're always so happy. And I'm not Mr. Perfect, of course, and I have my down days. But uh, the short answer to the why would be, you know, why am I always so happy? It's because I'm in the country I really want to be in, doing what we really love doing. And I can honestly say if there weren't bills to pay, that I would do what we do for nothing. I really, really love what we do. Hmm. What a beautiful way to say your why. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, and it's a great example of what we certainly coach on in terms of business ownership is that you get to the point where you are, Paul, where it's not a job for you. This is a passion for you and what you're doing. And uh, when you get to that point, the services that you provide are just so valued by your clientele and customers because they see that within you. They see that you're really truly expressing your why. You know, Paul, just to briefly comment on that, we have a, <clears throat> with me coming from a big company background, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that we have a, an operations manual from A to Z, soup to nuts about how we do what we do. And making a quick sidebar comment, I think that's what, what has enabled us to uh, duplicate ourselves over in Orlando, Florida, because someone can really kind of follow the plan. But within that plan, we actually have what we call a red carpet policy. And um, we never share this with our clients, of course, but really that red carpet policy really dictates the clients that we're meant to be of service to. And over the course of 14 years, we've actually fired three clients because yeah. we realized they weren't the best clients for us to be of service to. And we have a very strict uh, uh, list, as it were, if that's the right phrase, strict where uh, we just realize there are some clients that we're meant to serve and some clients that we're not, not meant to serve. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I mean, for many uh, business owners is, is just what you express. In fact, why don't you talk through that, uh, Paul, and just, I mean, the first time you did that must have been hard. And mm. Thinking through, hey, we, we need to jettison this client because they just aren't either matching your values or they're too time consuming. Uh, they aren't generating what you need in terms of reaction from clientele. What did that feel like the first time? Um, I, I don't remember having any adverse feelings towards creating it and implementing it. In terms of what that looks like, I mean, three key things immediately come to mind to me that are, that are within that list, which I think is about 10 or 12 points. Three of them that immediately come to mind, not in any particular sequence, would be number one, that we really only serve people-centered organizations. So if we get contacted by an organization that is not a people-centered organization, they just want to kind of like fire people up because if they don't get fired up, they're going to fire them. <laughs> we say, well, we're probably not the company to be working for you. And um, if we sense through the initial pre-consult that we're dealing with a very caustic, toxic, negative leader that really these people as uh, dispensable, you know, like uh, cogs in the wheel, 
will often kind of pull away from the engagement and so and will use words the effect that you know here's two or three other referrals we could recommend you to so the first point would be uh, people centered the second thing would be good communicators we i think it's probably the hotelier in me that we really take care of the details because we mainly work with you know quite large organizations and so we're a small business serving large organizations so we have to be really meticulous in our side of the bargain so if we find that that client is too busy and we'll talk about busyness i'm sure when we talk about time management to communicate with us and give us the information that we need say for the logistics because we do some quite complex projects then um, obviously if we've already contracted for project number one we'll do project number one but we won't go after project number two or project number three with them because they just weren't a joy to, to work with because they were poor communicators the third thing if i may um that immediately comes to mind which um might sound a little bit crude is price like we never ever 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 in 14 years have ever dropped our price just because somebody asked us to we look at it in kind of baseball terminologies like first base second base third base home so we think about well what could we do within the scope of works so that we can adjust it and then we, we look at different things within those different bases but the one thing that we won't reduce is price just for no reason because we know that ultimately it'll, it'll hit home as it were because we suffer our employees suffer and so there's been probably five or six occasions over the years where we've actually walked away from the assignment because we realized that that potential client's motivation was lowest price wins and that's not the game we want to play i heard it said by somebody once that uh, the trouble with um, fishing at the bottom of the pond as it were is uh, you, you might actually win you might actually win the race and end up like the lowest price our strategy has always been um, that it's less crowded at the top so we charge kind of b plus a minus rates and we hopefully attract and retain high quality clients and they're the people that we like to do work with that's an excellent point and right there if if we had uh, business owners and organizational leaders listening to that food for that um, you would talk about a paradigm shift i think a lot mm. of business owners uh, come from the point of view of scarcity and so mm. they're always concerned about losing a client and doing everything that they have to do to keep all of their clients and not looking through the lens that you've established, which are, okay, these are the rules of the game that we go by. And it's really important that our clients are in alignment with that. And I know that it's been a part of the value and the growth that you've had with your business. Uh, but, uh, and it comes from a mindset of abundance because mm. I, I, and I don't think that approaching what you just said with the scarcity mindset, you have to be on the other side of that and thinking in terms of, um, looking at an abundance mindset. Um, well, I think um, I think I think Lisa as well, without wanting to labour the point again, I've never really thought about this before. But I wonder whether again it's the hotelier in me, in that um, if you're working with a four or five star brand, like say a Hilton or a Marriott, and obviously we had other family brands that were lower, you know, the three three star brands. But I primarily worked within the four and five star brands, so. Our logic really as, as hoteliers was always, um, if you're charging X for a price and if you can back it up with the quality of product and service, there are certain clients that you're not meant to be of service to in that hotel. And I think taking that <clears throat> mindset forward is really how we built New Leaf. We knew that we'd got the um, experience and we pay our people well. 
and I think we've got some great programs and we stand the cutting edge of our field both in terms of programs and in terms of technology and we thought well if somebody's trying to as they say here nickel and dime you they're probably not the client for us there's maybe a three-star property down the road that can go to right yeah, this is, uh, I, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of experience in working for the government government contracts, and this is one of the areas that really we avoided, and it's called low-priced, technically acceptable bids. The mm -hmm. government was looking for the lowest price offerer who met certain qualifications, but they suffered in quality, and so it's almost as though you're offering a commodity instead of really a valued service. And, and yeah. that's what it drives the market to, is just offering a commodity and not that valued service that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, Paul, one of the things that we hear from our clients a lot is they suffer from time management and being able to grasp it and put their arms around it, and it certainly has an impact on their business and their business operations, not only with them, but also with their staff. And uh, your your team has a lot of expertise in this area. It would be helpful mm -hmm. if you were able to share some of that. No, that's top secret. <laughs> I I'd have to shoot you if I told you this, Paul. <laughs> You're always no, guaranteed just... a laugh. When you are having a conversation with Paul Butler, you're always guaranteed a laugh. Always. I think, I think PR and, and I, we separated at birth. You know, we're, uh, we, we're like brothers from different mothers in different parts of the world. I've, I haven't known Paul for very long, but I like him very much. And you're okay as well, Lisa. You're okay. <laughs> you're okay. Um, I think if I could, Paul and Lisa, just some thoughts that immediately come to mind to me based on the program that we've created. And obviously we customize it for different clients in that all of our work is um, based upon principles. And you know this, obviously doing what you guys do so well, that principles are different to techniques. So we really don't teach techniques. And without being too deep about it, I mean, I'm, I'm no philosopher. I'm a recovering accountant, you know. But... Um, <laughs> Techniques are very temporal, you know, they come in and out of fashion and we all know the different techniques like the feedback sandwich and all that stuff, but people can see through those techniques. So uh, our work is all based upon principles and principles, of course, are those things that are uh, universal, uh, they're objective, they exist with or without our permission, they're external to us. I mean, gravity, of course, is a great example of a natural law of a principle that you can say you don't agree with gravity. But if you uh, jump off the top of a building, gravity will soon prove itself. My point being is, is that when it comes to, say, time management, it's actually a dichotomy, isn't it? It's an oxymoron because you can't manage time. I mean, as the, as the proverb says, you know, time marches on and waits for no one. So we can't manage time. Really, at best, all we can do is really manage our priorities. And um, when you made your opening comments, Paul, about why you chose One True North as a company, I guess really if you were to categorize um, our paradigm, as Lisa said, you know, the, the pattern, the mental map, the window through which we see the world when it comes to, say, time management, it really would be in the realms of people like Stephen Covey's work in terms of um, being really clear on your priorities. And so when we talk about, say, one true north, 
I think it's very powerful as an individual to be thinking about what is your one true north in, say, the different roles that you have in life. So I've noticed, for example, that um, people get kind of frenetically busy because they're not really clear on their roles and they're not really clear on their priorities. So one of my first top tips when we do our time management program is really looking at um, taking some time to be really clear on the roles that you have in life and what are your highest priorities within those roles. On a, on a personal level, because we kind of practice what we preach, whenever I do my weekly planning, I always do my weekly planning before the week begins. So for me, I just take probably an hour on a Saturday morning, very early on a Saturday morning, and I'll look at the week ahead. And the first thing I'll do is I'll actually look back at my personal mission statement. And I've mapped out in this little one sheet personal mission statement, which obviously I'm always refreshing and refining the different roles that I have in life, obviously as a business owner, as a husband, you know, as a father, and obviously my relationship with our children has changed now since they've, they've become grown adults. Um, and other roles that, that I have within life. And I, I think, well, you know, I glance back at the goals that I've set for, the, for this year, and then I make sure that I'm executing upon those goals in the week ahead, because obviously weeks become months, months becomes years, and years become, you know, a lifetime. So I think uh, just my first response to your question would be that I've found that people that really struggle with time management is they're not really clear on where they're going. You know, there's that old famous line, isn't there, in um, Lewis Carroll's work, you know, in Alice in Wonderland, when uh, one of the characters said, you know, where are you headed? And the other character says, well, I'm not quite sure. He says, well, any road will get you there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And I think, uh, Paul, when you're talking, what came to mind is that techniques are transactional, principles are transformational. And uh, if we're really going to make a commitment to time management, we have to we have to really swallow that and and live our priorities. And mm. I, I know I'll just you know again we we promise authentic conversations, right? So these are unscripted, and um, part of my time management journey is to really live my priorities and and not looking at at our budget. You know, show me a budget, and you'll see people's priorities, whether that's a time budget or your financial. Um, budget, but really living my priorities in um, looking at the time I spend with my family, the time mm. I spend with my children, um, and then work, and trying to be congruent with all of that. Um, and you wrote a great article, I just want to draw people's attention to it, uh, in the Signal on October, October 24th, there was an uh, article that you published, or that the Signal published in regards to time management. And you were talking about this, managing priorities versus time, commitments being at the top of the list. And I'm mindful of so many of us have created these elaborate to-do lists, but very little to achieve lists and, and living the priorities as well. Hmm. You know, if I could um, respond to that, Lisa, um, a couple of things that immediately come to mind there is that I tend to think that um, where I think most people struggle with time management is where they um, they really focus on three people, me, myself, and I. And the trouble with busy people is they have no time for other people. And um, I always think it's interesting if you look at the Chinese symbol for the word busy, 
it's actually two words, which is death to the heart. So when we go around saying, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I mean, I love America. It's a very young country. I love Western Europe, but it's relatively a young country compared to, say, China. And I think the Chinese are onto something. They're saying that when we run around telling people how busy we are, it's almost like kind of death to the heart. Like we're, using it, we're losing our sense of direction, you know, our sense of purpose. So you mentioned in that article how we speak about commitment. And if I've made a commitment, say, to you for a meeting or a deadline or to send something to you, my word has to be my bond. Whereas most people say yes, but they don't mean yes. And I, I remember one of the things that Mahatma Gandhi said, he said, you know, a no uttered with the deepest conviction is better than a yes, merely please. So we've got to let... You know, he's really borrowing from the biblical principle that let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. So if you've made a commitment to someone, that should really be at the top of your list. Um, in the workplace setting then, you know, clients would then be, you know, on that list if that's separate to, say, a, separate to a commitment I've made to a client. And then it might, might be sales pursuits. And because we're such a people-centered organization, of course, with our employees, we would then have uh, any commitments we've made to our um, client partners, as they call them, our employees, things that we need to take care for them. You know, Paul, we've had we've had some conversations about uh, financial planning and some of those things that are required for businesses to do. And we're going into 2021, and we we note in the work that we do that a lot of businesses really don't have a well-established business plan, nor financial plan or budget, uh, and, and they don't even consider a forecast for like 2022. With your experience, not only as an accountant, but also in large businesses, and then you setting up your own business, and then even evolving to a franchise E now, or franchise owner, uh, putting out a franchise, Talk a little bit about the importance of knowing your numbers and doing your budget for 2021 and your forecast for 2022. Yes, certainly. Um, yes, yeah, so again, just repeating something I mentioned earlier on, that from day one, we've always set up our small business as if it was a big business with policies and procedures. We've always done a mid-month cash flow and we always do a month-end process and again, I think that's just embedded into me because of my, my large organizational background. But I'm sure um, most of your viewers or your listeners to this podcast would know that one of the top five reasons most small businesses fail within the first five to 10 years is really not a lack of ideas. Um, it really is a lack of business smarts. And that's sometimes expressed in different ways. It could be business acumen or business financial intelligence. But I found that most small business owners really don't have a head for the numbers. Now, even though I'm a chartered accountant, which is an international version of a CPA, I knew from day number one that if I focused on the books, we wouldn't eat. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to reinvent myself to become a salesperson. And because I've always enjoyed being with people, I, I never think about myself as a salesperson. I just kind of help people buy by just positioning our products and services to really be of service to their particular solution. Um, 
and all of our works come by referral. But the point I'm making there is I had to make sure that um, the books were being done and were being done well and we had the processes in place, say at mid-month and month-end, to know where we stood on our numbers. Because coming back to the phrase busyness, can you imagine how frustrating it would be when you just don't know where you stand with your numbers because your books are a complete mess? Uh, the, our CPA that we use, because we use a CPA firm to do our, um, obviously our year-end um, tax information, and obviously there's that level of complexity now with us having the franchisee over in Florida, is um, he said the amount of times he has small business owners just turn up with like a plastic bag full of receipts. Mm. I mean, can you just imagine trying to work and grow a business in that chaos? I, ju I just couldn't imagine that. Well, we, we not only imagine it, we see that. And it's one of the first things that we look at when we're dealing with businesses is asking to look, how are they budgeting? How are they forecasting for the future? And how is that aligned with any of their uh, dreams, vision, mission, goals, objectives, any one of those things? It becomes really important. Yeah. Uh, but well, this gets into why... the next. Go, Go ahead. ahead, please. <laughs> We're the brother-sister sister duo, so we're looking at each other. Yeah. Who comes next? Uh, you know, the, the leadership, I think Paul is going to, to bring up a, a leadership um, thought of the week to discuss. Before we do that, Paul Butler, you know, what we hear a lot of times, too, in regards to um, businesses, and especially this, I think, applies to, to the work that we've heard in regards to the millennials and Gen Z, that there's a lot of, of information that they have, a lot of good uh, insight and, and uh, technology or their subject matter expertise, but not a lot in regards to leadership development. And it's something that Paul and I are so passionate about. And we also see this, this significant opportunity right now um, in our world, quite, quite frankly, is to pay attention to leadership and growing the muscle of good leadership. Um, and I just wanted to share that with you and see if you had any feedback regarding that, because the heart of what you do, I think, has its core in what I just talked about, is in, is in also giving the support to building good leadership overall and how important that is. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, so a couple of thoughts that immediately come to mind to me is, is that, um, first of all, I'm always amazed when people use the phrase manager or, or management, as I'm sure you guys know that, I mean, management is really a, or manager is really a age term when the primary asset value of organizations was machines and capital. It's like you perform, you get the carrot, you don't perform, you get the stick. And, uh, we really don't manage people. I mean, one of the questions that um, I've asked all over the world is who here by hand likes to be managed? Because people don't like to be managed. We, we manage things, but the thing with things is they don't think. I mean, when you're dealing with a human being that's really four-dimensional, the body, the heart, the mind, and the spirit, we lead them, and the commodity that we're dealing with is trust. And so trust is hard to do, but trust is character and competence. So if someone's a person of high character and they're a person of high competence, we tend to trust them, you know, we'll, we'll follow them. So 
So one of the things that I we often say with the work we do is that we really have to manage ourselves. And if we're really good at managing ourselves, we might be given that noble, honourable responsibility to have formal explicit authority over others, which is really called leadership. Um, my, my final response to that question would be, I remember my parents saying to me when I was about um, 17 or 18, I didn't know what I wanted to do for um, university. And they said two things to me. The first thing they said was, get rid of the mullet. <laughs> I said, it's awesome. It's like, this is the party at the back said, no, get rid of the mullet, sunshine. That's not going to work. The second thing they said was, they said, you're never going to be able to lead others until you can manage yourself. And one of the things when we're working with um, up and coming leaders, you know, younger leaders, or when, like you guys, you've got to some time for, say, the junior chamber of commerce, is I always say, you know, even though you're raring to go, even though you're chomping, even though you want to go in your office as soon as possible, you've got to kind of pay your dues for a certain period of time to be able to manage yourself. Because unless you prove yourself, you're not going to be given the opportunity to lead others. Right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's truly authentic. That's my little beagle in the background uh, guarding the house. Um, but this is a great opportunity to kind of change to uh, the leadership uh, tip of the week. And it's really about resisting or embracing change. and. We certainly see a lot of that right now with the pandemic going on, and we're hearing a lot of people, whether neighbors, kids, friends, you know, business owners, leaders, public officials, all saying they can't wait to get back to normal. Well, normal is not going to be the normal it was eight months ago. It's changed. So we have to uh, be able to present opportunities, see opportunities, and take advantage of those. And one of the uh, great opportunities I had was to work with Stan McChrystal. We were colonels together at Fort Bragg, and he runs the McChrystal Group. It's a leadership group. And he talked about uh, what it is to be in crisis, and it's a high-stakes change at an accelerated speed. And to survive it, he talks a lot about this, you have to embrace the change. So if you resist change, your business is going to struggle and you may never regain the momentum to survive. But if you embrace it and you look at it from the very positive aspect of what you need to do today to seek out opportunities and then thrive in whatever the new normal is, uh, you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And we often use a, a model, Paul, and I'd like to get your feedback on it, but we talk through how do you how do you overcome your resistance to change? And first you have to be at a level of dissatisfaction uh, that you're going to attempt to change. Then you have to have a vision. And you talked about this, is that if you don't have a pathway forward, you don't know where you'll be going. And then finally, you have to take the first steps to introduce that change, whether it's to yourself or to your business. So it'd be great to get some of your thoughts on that, Paul, before we close out today. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, from when you, you mentioned it in the pre-interview pre, pre -interview section. I was thinking that 
you know, what have I noticed in, in my experience, either as an employee for about 20 years and then doing what we've done for the last, you know, 14, consulting with the organizations that we uh, work with. And although we don't uh, teach on change management, if you think about the work we do as a staff training and leadership development company, we're often brought in as a kind of a, an accompaniment to something that they might be doing doing internally, which is probably part of a, a change dynamic. And three things immediately come to mind to me is, is that one of the reasons why I've noticed that some people resist change is because they get their identity and their power. And so if there's any threat whatsoever that you're going to take that power away from me, then uh, I'm going to be very resistant towards that change. And, uh, and that obviously is because of human ego. And uh, again, I'm no philosopher, but I think the anecdote to uh, ego is humility. Mm -hmm. And humility is really a heart issue. It's not a head issue. It's really a heart issue. So um, easy to say, but hard to do. I found that people that are more um, relaxed or using Lisa's word abundant about change is really where their heart is in the right place, as we say about people. And there's really a humility to kind of roll with it. Uh, the second thing I've noticed about um, people that resist change is really fear. And I think that kind of comes off the first point that I've mentioned because their identity is so wrapped up on, in who they are in their work because they haven't taken the time to have a good look in the mirror and think about who they are outside of work. Their highest identity is their work. And um, I think work is very important. I was raised in a kind of a middle class, I guess, working family. I was always taught to work. Um, work is important, of course, but uh, no one on their deathbed ever said, you know, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. We always speak about relationships that we wish would have, we would have protected and enhanced. So um, again, easy to say, but hard to do. I've noticed that people that resist change is because they're fearful of what they can't see because they haven't taken the time to think about a vision beyond like the immediate present. And the third thing I've noticed that can really be, again, a good solution for, say, a leader that's trying to manage a team, you know, manage a process, lead an organization through change is, is obviously communication. And even though, Paul, you know, I've never served in the military, I think I shared with you when we first met my father was in the British Army. And if I picked up anything at all from my father's stories, and I'm sure you would attest to this, that uh, when I think about um, some of the great military battles over time, it was really where there was absolutely excellent uh, communication, very clear communication about the battle to be won and how the battle was to be played out. And really, you could argue that change in its own minuscule way is really a, a form of a battle that the organization is kind of work, walking through. Um, if I may, just um, just one other quick personal example that immediately came to mind to me. And again, you're always reluctant to want to be the uh, the hero of your own story. But when I when I went back to England in 2003, I actually joined Marriott Hotels as a regional finance director. So I had about 60 of the hotels in uh, Western Europe. Uh, so I had the UK, Italy, Germany, France, and Spain. Obviously, the predominant hotels were in the UK. And um, they went through four organizational changes within three years. And um, if I was to look back on that period of time and think, well, gosh, you know, what, um, you know, what can I take from that? What can I learn from that? I think the first thing was, again, because I was clear on the different roles that I had in life, 
I was quite relaxed about whether I was going to get made redundant or get promoted. I mean, I, all I thought, well, I'm just going to work to the very best of my ability, be positive, offer suggestions and solutions, and we'll just see what happens because my identity is not all rolled up within within the work. And uh, what came out of that, there was quite a big organizational change because Marriott had acquired another hotel company. And of course, we didn't need two CEOs. We didn't need two CFOs. We didn't need eight regional finance directors. But um, I was one of the fortunate ones that was kept on and actually given more responsibility. <laughs> and, uh, I felt really bad about it because about six months into the new role, I said, I need to let you know I'm going to resign and I'm going to go to America and start my own business. So toodaloo. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Great story. Well, yeah. And what a, what a great way to come to the end of our conversation with you, Paul. That's leaving it definitely on a high note. And we've learned so much. Um, how can people get a hold of you and learn more? And I know that time management, actually, you have information on your website, don't you? Yes, we do. So uh, people can get hold of us on our website, which is simply New Leaf, N-E-W-L-E-A-F-T-D, T for training, D for development, dot com. And uh, we have four delivery channels, uh, seminars, keynotes, coaching, and online. And one of the things I'm excited about for 2021 is we're actually going to be creating a series of very short on-demand e-learning modules where it will be a B2C model because at the moment we really do B2B but we've had so many individuals over the last nine months of course in COVID where they've wanted to put their hand in their own pocket or they've been given a budget from their organization to invest in their own professional development so almost like on a Netflix for learning and development so stay tuned my our goal is uh, within the first quarter one of those on-demand e-learning modules, that Netflix for Learning, will be our time management program broken down into a series of short little modules. Wow, that's exciting. Great. And it's probably our number one request for the uh, clients that we work with. Actually, maybe it's not a request at first. It's what we observe and, and assess and say, this is an area that you could really develop some some more uh, muscle in, in regards to time management. Uh, so yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, one, yeah. one thing we wanted before we close is that Paul and I co-chair the Small Business Roundtable for the Chamber of Commerce. It's a great opportunity for business owners to engage, and you need to be a chamber member, but uh, we'll tee up a, a particular subject with an expert coming in and talking, and then a lot of it is discussion and you gain lessons learned. And Paul, I wanted, this was your uh, thought for the chamber to do something like this. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about it too. I know you and I both have had experience mm -hmm. in these type of formats. Yeah. So first of all, if you're not already a member of the chamber, obviously the Santa Clarita Valley Area Chamber of Commerce, I'd massively recommend that. Um, I'm not being paid to say this, but if you were to ask me what's probably one of the top 10 things each year, I'm more than happy to put my hand in my pocket for it would be the Chamber's membership. Second of all, I'm sure that many small business owners like Paul just alluded to have had some experience working within similar organizations and as admirable as those things are, they can get uh, quite expensive. And uh, this is a value add as the Chamber membership. It doesn't cost you a penny more to be a member of the Small Business Roundtable. 
And again, coming back to, we were talking earlier about principles. The principle that this is based on, of course, is, is the, the wise counsel, that um, effective individuals always look for wise counsel. And uh, that's the power, really, of the Small Business Roundtable, is, is that in a safe learning environment, not that we're going to be sharing financials and um, anything like that, but we are able to have a authentic, you know, using Lisa's word as the theme of what we're doing here, an authentic conversation about how we're running our businesses because we can all learn from each other. We can all kind of sharpen each other's iron, as it were. And as Paul mentioned, we're looking at uh, the whole of the business. You could, again, I think of things in uh, financial terms. It's like, you know, we're looking at income and expenses. Uh, we're looking at assets and liabilities and everything that wraps around that, whether it's marketing, whether it's administration, whether it's um, leadership of people, employer relations matters, other legal aspects, even franchising. Uh, not that that's obviously everyone's dream as a small business owner, but obviously it's a great way to uh, to grow your business through others. And so I'd massively, massively recommend that you consider that small business roundtable. I know uh, PR and I are very excited about that. And it's the second Friday. It's scheduled the second Friday of every month, and it runs from seven to eight thirty. So it should not interfere with your workday. And it, it truly will be a very valuable opportunity for chamber members to attend and gain some insight and best business practices and leadership tips. Yeah. And because um, if I may, I'd like to share this recording afterwards with um, uh, family and friends over in England. When PR says scheduled, it means scheduled. <laughs> very right. Thanks, Paul. Bilingual. Love it. <laughs> Well, Paul Butler, um, you you made this another great conversation with a lot of fun because you always do. And before we close out, what we do every single week is we shine a spotlight on a local business. And it's our way of making sure that our community is aware of all the businesses that are out there uh, that can be helping us at this time. So with that, this business spotlight is on branded translations. And Branded Translations was started in 2011 by two partners who were looking for a better way to localize marketing and advertising content. With a passion for languages and global brand marketing expertise, they have successfully helped corporations and ad agencies engage multicultural audiences for nearly a decade. And their translation services for marketing, marketing and advertising communications um, are done by specialized linguists in any language and they're looking at product literature, website content, annual reports, press releases, sales pres presentations, and so on. So check them out. Their website is brandedtranslations.com. Very easy. And as we sign off, we, uh, Paul and I want to thank everybody for listening. Paul Butler for being our guest today. You can find out more about One True North at onetruenorthcoach.com. And we have a COVID-19 resource page in which we have a lot of good substantive con uh, content that our business owners and organizational leaders or anyone can look at to help them navigate through our unprecedented times. And you can find out more about our North Star, our, uh, our why, who we are, what we do, how we serve, our vision, mission, purpose. And we make it easy for you to click on the homepage um, if you'd like to get a complimentary business diagnostic, that's where Paul and I would assess your business and ask you really good questions that you can think about. 
so that you can get beyond surviving and thrive in 2021. Mm -hmm. And also, lastly, you can always go to our One True North Facebook and LinkedIn pages as well, where we have our articles that we post, we share this podcast, and uh, we share other information that is gonna be really helpful for all of you as well. So with that, thank you all, and we look forward to next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Paul.